Welcome back to this week's episode of the Beggar's Cup, your favorite podcast where two dudes talk about fantasy, pop culture, science fiction, whatever, books, movies, not politics and not religion, unless it's religion as pertains to any of the aforementioned topics, in which case we will talk about it. See our cleric episode a few episodes ago. <sighs> as always, I'm author Nick Langan, joined by Galen Detweiler and... Uh, we need to give a shout out to our sponsor. Do you want to take the shout out or try to take the shout out? I don't think I can top last week, but let me give it a try here. All right. All right. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Once again, we want to thank everybody for coming to our show. And as always, this comes to you with the generosity of plus five charisma. That's right. Plus five charisma for all your lovely D&D needs go and uh, check out their fine apparel their comfortable sportswear or evening wear and uh, their lounge wear as well they have uh, really branched out with uh, plus five charisma that wasn't as good as yours but still go check them out fantastic yeah, guy makes charisma. lots and lots of shirts uh, druid shirt the uh, the rogue shirt uh, the Blade Singer shirt. It's uh, it's all fantastic. You can get them on a hoodie, get them on a t-shirt. They're nice, comfortable wear. I love wearing mine, especially during D&D night. Um, so all the gentlemen around the table know what class I'm playing that night. <laughs> That's plus five uh, charisma. Yeah, uh, and as always, you can follow us on Facebook at The Beggar's Cup. You can follow me, uh, Nick Lang, an author. It's Facebook backslash Crowns of Hebron. And um, while we have a YouTube channel, which is the Beggar's Cup, and, and currently it only has the our interview with Elisa on it, which you should go check it out. Uh, she's an artist and pretty cool. Uh, we also just want to give a shout out. Uh, Plus Five Charisma has started a YouTube channel of their own, Charisma Gaming. And I believe they uploaded their first video either yesterday or the day before uh, about Elden Ring, which Tyler and I have been playing a lot in the new From Software game. Uh, I know Galen's played some too. I've been but, trying to. Uh, he up. has a little, he has a little hack in there for. Uh, it's a quick video about uh, gaining levels quickly. Which for anybody that has played that game, you know that you need to do that uh, level up as much as you possibly <laughs> can <laughs> to try and stem the inevitable tide of death that comes in there. Um, and maybe we'll talk about that game after we've been playing it for a while because that's pretty cool fantasy and yeah, uh, it's it's fun. It's ruthless. It's, it's my ruthless. first. It's my first experience. I've never played a Dark Souls game, so it's like my, uh, my first. It's like dating my first girlfriend. Fun, ruthless, and makes you cry at night. <laughs> Although then you can nuzzle your head into the shirts that you got from Plus Five Charisma, and That's right. it's not it's quite so bad. It's comfortable. It's affordable. It's Plus Five Charisma. <laughs> <laughs> Plus five charisma. Well, we're not the worst company that you could buy t-shirts from. Uh, <laughs> that was a rejected ad that I had. Um, sorry, Tyler. Uh, I wanted to talk. Uh, I wanted to talk about some something that may be current today, and that is the idea of adaptation, specifically adapting books and comics to film or TV. And uh, you'll see why I think this is uh, currently relevant. When we we get need to talk a about this further into. Yeah. Um, 
obviously, duh, what is adaptation specifically uh, taking a book or comic book and then making that story with those characters into a visual medium in this point is what we're talking about. And this is no news to anybody. And it's a tale as old as time. People have written books and then other people have been like, hey, we don't have to write a brand new story. We can just change this to fit small or large screen. And oh man, right off the bat, I gotta ask, do you have a do you have a favorite adaptation? Uh, you know the Shawshank Redemption was was pretty good adapting it from book into uh the screen. It's just an absolute classic Stephen King. Um I think one of the first adaptations that I can really remember and something I still uh, enjoy both reading and uh, watching, even though it's quite a long watch at times, is uh, the book The Killer Angels, which is the story of uh, Gettysburg. Mm. And uh, that was adapted into the film Gettysburg, which stars fantastic actors, Tom Berenger, Jeff Daniels, um, Martin Sheen yep. as uh, General Lee. Um, it, it's fantastic. It, that's something that, especially during July, you know, during the uh, anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg, um, I like watching. And uh, it sticks pretty close to the book. Um, the book's a little dry, a little informative, um, but it's, it's a good ap- adaptation for me. How about you? What's what's something? Uh, it's it wasn't quite fancy, but it's it was off the top of my head. What about you? I know. Uh, well, if we're gonna the, I mean, the low hanging fruit is the Lord of the Rings movies for sure. Mm. Um, but another not fantasy, but probably one of my favorite movies, and definitely it'll be interesting is uh, Last of the Mohicans with Daniel Day Lewis. Fantastic soundtrack. Uh, that- but but yeah of course but we'll, we'll get to that because so i've broken adaptation from my perspective there's there's three kinds there's three kinds of adaptation you got the beat for beat where where the person writing the film or the screenplay or you know generally the people writing the screenplay are are trying to literally do recreate every scene in the book um then you have sort of uh, what I'll call in the spirit of, which I think most adaptations generally fall into, even Lord of the Rings movies really fall into the in the spirit of. They're not beat for beat recreations of Tolkien's books. And then you have the, uh, what I'll just call uh, sort of kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Creative license was taken here. Um, yeah, so a good example of a beat for beat adaptation is Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone that first movie is pretty much literally somebody took the book and filmed it and they don't really deviate from anything. Most scenes that are in the book are in there, even if they don't really feel right yeah. in the movie and they cut some things out, but you know, time yeah, they cut a few things out, but I mean, it's hard to do a beat for beat and I, and I don't think you really should anyway, most of the time, like, <sighs> yeah, it's tough. Um, 
in the spirit of, we already talked about Lord of the Rings. So there's all sorts. I mean, those books are huge. There's all sorts of things that don't make it into the movies. Tom Bombadil being a great example from Bombadil. The Fellowship. And there's also things that we talked about, I think, in our death episode that aren't really in the books, but are or are kind of implied in the books, but added. So like Boromir's death scene doesn't happen like that in the books. At the end of the book, they hear his horn, and then the beginning of the two towers, they just find him dead. But I think it's a good choice visually. We can't we need to see his his redemption and his death. So um what's another one? The shining in the spirit Ooh. of is 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 not at all a beat for beat and it's funny because that's one of those ones it's like it's a it's a praised movie and it's a praised book but stephen king actually hates he's gone on record saying that yeah. he hates the adapt that film adaptation which that i think is, is one really of his most low so, adaptations i know but that movie is so good though mm-hmm. I, stephen king's a little wacky man like sometimes you know for anybody that hasn't read the book it like go read the book it and then tell me that this is a completely sane dude you know um <laughs> well i mean he right he's what he he's written the most books ever in history like probably uh family guy actually does a uh a really good um bit on him i think it's one of their uh they're they're doing an adaptation of misery and okay. like Stephen King is like standing in the middle of the, the snowy road and gets hit by the car and he's flying through the air. He's like, Oh, Hey, this would make a great story. And he just quick pulls out a pen and paper and like sketches it down. And before he lands, he's finished with it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah he's written a lot. So he's uh he's the anti George R. R. Martin. He finishes maybe sometimes <laughs> too much stuff too quickly. Um, mm. There was a, a so a show that I really liked justified, which I was happy to find um, they're doing some kind of new series with those characters. Timothy Oliphant yeah. as Raylan Givens. That's based on, uh, Oh gosh, what's his name? Leonard Elmore Leonard. That's it. Um, who is a famous crime writer of short stories and novelists. And that show is, is, awesome i love it i watched the whole five seasons it is Raylan gibbons is a character that elmore leonard has in some stories and, and books but what's interesting is the story that that first episode is based on fire in the hole the in the book the guy that he has it sort of ends in a in a uh, a quick draw contest over dinner and the guy the character that Raylan shoots in the book boyd crowder he just kills him in the book and in the series they kept him alive and he became one of the main characters. So that's another example of really deviating from maybe the source material in some ways, but also staying very true to the spirit of, uh, of those characters or that character in particular hunger games, is a good one that's in the spirit of most, most things, like I said, most things fall into this in the spirit of where yeah. we're going to keep the characters the same. We're going to keep, the characters defining characteristics the same their motivations maybe we'll play with how dedicated we stay to the original story and uh sort of kinda is is 
it's tough because sometimes it's like okay they're doing something interesting and sometimes the sort of kind of adaptation is just clearly a cash grab you know like they couldn't come up with their own character so they're like well we'll cash in on this property with a recognizable name but we're not going to do anything that people who might like this would like and not that all of them are negative, but I think most superhero movies fall into this category at this point because, and part of the problem with that is you've got decades of comic backstory and superhero characters in the comics are always dying and then somebody's somebody's evil twin and you know, it's very soap opera-y, but things have sort of changed a lot over the years. And so there mm-hmm. are certain sort of uh, very popular comic storylines that I think would make good films or TV shows, but generally... You know, uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, what the movie was was an amalgamation, an amalgamation of a lot of Captain America origin stories. It's not like they were like, we're taking this run and we're adapting it. So I'm not uh, I'm not disparaging always the sort of kind of adaptation, although I think that especially when you're talking about books, it does raise some questions, right? Like why adapt something if you're going to change everything about it (laughs) yeah i uh i can think of one book in particular but i think we're gonna get there so i'm gonna hold off for now we're gonna get there i mean so in most recent memory uh the wheel of time on amazon which we, we still need to do like a whole separate thing but i'm just gonna say here i never read the wheel of time books before started watching the show because it was like, Ooh, a new epic fantasy show on Amazon. Like, I'm going to check that out. And the first couple episodes I was, especially the first episode, I was like, this is pretty good. Like I, I enjoy this, you know? And then as the season went on, I went, Oh no. And then the next episode would come and I'd go, Oh, Oh no. Like, and then the next episode <laughs> came and I'm like, Oh, and then by the eighth episode, my wife just fell asleep uh, 10 minutes in, which, tells you all you need to know about how riveting it was as far and now that i'm i'm reading the first novel i'm like what the heck like <laughs> <laughs> creative license was taken uh yeah um so obviously we i i i touched on this a little bit before but you know why why do people adapt things uh money right it's, it's a built-in fan base generally and that's kind of cynical but that's the real answer i think for most of these things it makes the world go round hey there's there's ninety thousand people or ninety thousand people have bought this book well if we make a if we make a movie or a tv show like most of those people will probably tune in you know and uh what are some other reasons i think uh it's easier than creating something yourself and also hollywood in particular and a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people in creatively don't like taking risks because making a movie or making it a, a streaming service show, it can be a big financial investment, obviously. So they just like that security. I think, you know, if you're the executive and I pitched you and I'm like, Galen, I have this great idea. There's swords and there's, uh, you know, babes and there's equity and there's this. And you're like, I don't know. And then I'm like, but it's based on a book and it was the New York times bestseller. It's like, Oh, well, <laughs> thank goodness. It's, it's, you know, that doesn't actually lend any more 
credence really if you know anything about like say the new york times bestseller list or like anything like that but i think it just is a is a is a way and people complain about this all the time like where are all the original ideas in in movie and tv we get all these remakes and adaptations and blah blah, blah. and I, I think that's a majority of the reason is this is nice and safe or, well this is a proven thing mm. so we're going to spend money in it um I kind of think that's also a reason for a lot of the reboots lately. Like it's, it's safe because people loved that growing up, you know, it's, it's nostalgia. So rather than trying to figure out a new idea, let's just do a reboot of this or let's bring it back. It doesn't always work all the time. No, no. I mean, I don't hold a lot of these creators responsible. Like, if somebody were to come to me and be like, hey, Nick, here's $2 billion. Will you make a Batman movie? You think I'm not going to be like, hell yeah, I'm going to make a Batman movie. You know, like... <laughs> I'll do um, it for $50 million and keep the rest. Yeah. It's uh, because, like you're saying, like, I, you know, we grew up with all this stuff. So, yeah, I don't... It's kind of like Star Wars. I don't... Well, let's not lie. I do fault the people for the... The Star Wars sequels. They but, know what they did. You know, I might have done things differently, but do I do I hate them for trying when it's like I grew up with this great thing and now I get to, you know, do now I get to do it. Like, Yeah, but yeah, Star Wars in itself. I, I, I'm not sure if that's quite a good example because Star Wars, like the lore behind Star Wars and the whole universe is so massive. It's just like the Marvel universe. There's so much that they could have tapped into. And even the, the like, if you're trying to wrap up the Skywalker story, there's so much you could have done. And they chose to do it a different way. And I think it was just the easy way out trying to make it relevant for a new generation oh. while telling the same story. And I'm a little upset and getting off topic. So let's go <laughs> well, back. See, but see, this would have been a good example of when they should have done adaptation mm. because you should have adapted some of those novels that were written. Uh, I believe some of them were written by R.A. Salvatore, who we've talked about the Crystal Shard book on here, but he wrote some of these books too. And yeah, a lot of those books with with the you know the Skywalker twins then and Mara Jade and all that like Luke trying to fund the new Jedi order fund found the new Jedi order <laughs> um those would have been freaking awesome movies if you had absolutely taken those so yeah I, I think an instant branding was what I was gonna say before but it kind of ties into to the money you know again it's like oh my gosh you know you I mean let's take Batman just because Batman was just released again it's like you don't need to explain to people who Batman is all over the world. You, you, you know what you're getting people kind of, you're going to get a built in number of people that just go see it simply because it's Batman. And it, it's pros and cons. Um, but now we're going to get to the heart of why I wanted to talk about this. Do you think that it is inherently disrespectful to deviate from source material when you're adapting something? You know, it really depends. Um, <laughs> for me, I think one, if you have the blessing of the author, yes. And, or no, it, it's not disrespectful. Um, 
if it is a story that isn't as you know well established as let's take star wars or lord of the rings because they have such a massive pool of lore behind them so many more stories to tell um you can take any one of those and create a great story if you have the right people telling it you don't need to just make it your own thing you don't need to you know rip and cut and tear and piece back together and make it your own so you can be like i helped make lord of the rings what it is today um to me that that's pretty disrespectful um so maybe i'm just you know sitting on the middle ground you know fence here and not taking a side one way or the other but there if you got the blessing of the author then mm, no it's not disrespectful but if you're just trying to put your own stamp on things and be like oh i can do this better than the original or hey here's my two cents about this you know then yeah prob- probably you know the the story is the story it was good enough for the book you know it was good enough for the new york times bestsellers list or whatever it's going to be good enough for the silver screen you don't need to put your fingers in the pudding yeah i i think we i don't remember if it was last episode or the episode i'm not sure but i mentioned or maybe it was the vox mocking episode i'm not sure but i've definitely said before on this podcast that i find it really weird that you would want the security, right? You'd want the built-in money, the instant branding, the proven track record of, uh, of of a famous book. And so you would spend probably hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases getting the rights to make that book to film adaptation. And then you would fundamentally change everything about it. Like it's a very strange thing to me. And we're kind of seeing this with the with with some of the behind the scenes news that that's coming out from the Amazon Lord of the Rings show, which doesn't surprise me at all, by the way. I mean, Amazon's okay, but like, uh, it's Amazon. Uh, it's not right. like, <laughs> like, you know. So there was an interview with Peter Jackson from from back in the day where he was like, you know, our goal as filmmakers was to stay as true to Tolkien's vision as we could and to honor that. And you contrast that now. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, Galen. This was actually pretty funny, but they took it down already. They put up a video of like these four people that I've never heard of who are supposed to be like Tolkien super fans, but they're all okay. like younger than you and I, right? I mean, and we're not old, so like, but they're all like younger than us and they're like, you know, like super hip looking and, and they're sitting around and they're like, you know, what is your favorite thing about bringing this this universe to the screen again? And the one guy's like, all of the diversity. And and the one girl said she was like, oh, I'm just, I just, it's just such a cozy story. Like you're watching this video and you're a like, these people have story. never read any of it, right? Like none of it. They haven't read any of it. They've no- and it got so panned by people online because this is one thing that I will say, like the Tolkien fan base are generally very educated just because of the nature of his work and his his work being so intellectual and they're also generally like fervently devoted to (laughs) and so this thing got just wrecked and amazon pulled the video because people were like you know who who are these people like why are you (laughs) yeah exactly uh (laughs) who wrote the script for this uh hype video that you know sucks (laughs) and so no, I don't think your answer is a cop out. I think it depends. I mentioned my favorite 
my, one of my favorite movies earlier uh, is Last Mohicans, and I hate that book by James <laughs> Fenmore Cooper. If you like, if you try and read that book, it is, I mean, okay, look, there's some some amount of subjectivity in art, right? So, am I going to say that it's objectively bad? N- no, but I've re- I've read it, and it, this is what's interesting is I actually watched the movie first. I saw the movie first. I was like, oh, there's a book? Heck yeah, I love this movie. Daniel Day-Lewis diving through a waterfall, you know, tomahawk <laughs> in hand. Come on. Uh, spoiler and, alert. <laughs> and one of the things, if, if you if you haven't seen that movie, it's set during the French and Indian War, and it follows a character, Nathaniel, uh, who also goes by Hawkeye, and he is an adopted son of Jingachgook, who is the last sort of elder of the Mohicans, and Jingachgook's son, Uncas, so there's a trio of these guys. They're all hunter, long hunters. They, they, you know, can scout, they can shoot, they can fight. And it follows a sort of plot of, uh, I forget what tribe Magua is from, Huron maybe, um, who has sort of infiltrated the British and, and he's seeking revenge on this British general working for the French. And so the movie is brutal in the best way possible like it is it's beautiful it's shot in sort of you know all woodland forests and mountains and and but like it is absolutely ruthless i mean the the battle scenes despite being despite the movie being from like the 90s like the battle scenes are really good you some you know people get scalped like the combat is is scary and people are dropping dead all around the main characters all the time. You always have the sense that they're sort of just barely escaping with their lives. And they often do run instead of trying to fight, which is something you don't see in a lot of movies. But a lot mm-hmm. of times they're like, we got to get the heck out of here. Like it takes value of life. Um, and, and there's a love story, which I think is fine in the movie between Nathaniel and one of the general's daughters. Uh, all right, and spoiler alert, I'm just going to spoil Last of the Mohicans. It's called Last of the Mohicans because Uncas, who's the son, he's sort of the heir to the, to the Mohican tribe uh, by birthright. He ends up killed in a one-on-one duel at the end of the movie with the bad guy. And in the movie, it's real, and he's trying to save uh, the daughters. For, they've been taken by the, I think it's the Huron, um, as sort of recompense for crimes. And in the movie, it is super sad. Uh, he gives his life sort of fro- heroically, but also like this is the guy that's sort of the last of his people, or he should be the last of his people. You know, his father hopes that he'll outlive him and carry on. And but you've had it against the backdrop of it doesn't feel out of place or anything because you've had it against the backdrop of sort of this war. The book is a cartoon in comparison. <laughs> Everyone's always shooting at each other. Nobody's getting shot. Like the book feels like an eighties, like GI Joe cartoon compared to the movie. And when I read it, I was like, what the heck? Because very rarely do you hear somebody be like, Oh, the movie is totally better than the book. Right. Usually it's the <laughs> other way around, but in my opinion, that's a good example. And so, you know, I look at that and I'm like, well, did they stay true to, to James Fenmore Cooper's vision? No, <laughs> <laughs> because if they had, I probably wouldn't like the movie, you know? <laughs> like, um, and 
on the flip side of that, a book that I, I have read, but only once, but I know that you really liked is Ready Player One. And there we go. I have not seen the, I have not bothered with the film adaptation <laughs> because you were like, basically don't bother with this. I got a lot of problems with you people. And now you're going to hear it. <laughs> so yes. Um, so Ready Player One for anyone who hasn't read it or hasn't seen the Spielberg train wreck, I mean, blockbuster um, is a book by Ernest Klein. It was a New York times bestseller and it's a, fantastic book um i i really enjoyed it because it is all things kind of geeky and nerdy um the book is kind of an homage to um the beginnings of both rpgs and video games and all things 80s um and it's essentially a treasure hunt uh this boy um wade he's uh growing up in um you know this dystopian times and he's this massive gamer and his uh his role model um halliday uh dies and he's like the biggest uh tech mogul genius um ever ever to live and so he creates this challenge where if you can get three keys and find the golden Easter egg, you get control of his company. Um, it's a fantastic book. It, it was probably one of the fastest books I've ever read. Um, I think it came out in 2012. Maybe I could be wrong on that, but I picked it up a couple of years ago and I couldn't put it down. I read it, I think in two days, which is super fast for me. Hmm. Um, and it's just a fantastic book. I've read it over and over and over again. It's just a great story. Um, Mr. Klein, I applaud you if you are listening to this. Please reach out to the Beggar's Cup. I hey, would at least to love to, to talk to you. Um, and also find oh, out talk how you heard about us. Yeah, how you heard about us. <laughs> um, the movie, however, um, I was very upset with because it is not at all like the book. It's it is of the same spirit, but all of the challenges are completely different. And strangely enough, because, you know, Steven Spielberg wouldn't really do this to something he's adapting to the screen, but it, it all kind of revolves around works that maybe Spielberg has been a part of or, <laughs> you know, things like that. So instead of being an homage to uh, the 80s and the beginnings of video games and tabletop rpgs it's an homage to him and you know it's uh, it really upset me the first time i watched like i was so excited to go to the movie theaters and watch this movie um because it, it's putting what i was reading on the pages up on the screen so you know i was like oh i wonder if you know what i'm visualizing is what they're visualizing and holy cow i almost walked out of the theater um but halfway through the movie, I had, I guess, this moment of clarity. I'm like, look, you love the book, okay? You need to stop watching this movie like it's supposed to be part of your book. Just watch it like an action movie. And from then, yeah, I kind of enjoyed it. It was okay. But it's definitely not the book, um, which was really sad to me. That's that's something that 
you know, I think was a little disrespectful, but then again, Ernst Klein is still alive. So he gave his blessing to all the changes they made and well, he let he it just happen. Had, he just, he just had no say. I mean, that's one of the downsides that a lot of people don't realize is that when you option your, your uh, material, if somebody out there wanted to make a movie based on Lance and Griffin or a TV show, I'm totally <laughs> down. But you, usually what happens is, you know, a studio will option the rights to that book or, or that mm -hmm. property. And that what the option is, is a little bit of money or sometimes in, in this case, it was probably a lot of money oh, yeah. to uh, Mr. Klein. And then once the studios sign on and they get funding, then there's usually another final agreement. So they pay out again. But after that, um, he probably had zero, maybe like 0.05% involvement. Mm. So Should it's just a, a tidbit harder. for all those people. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, some something, some people, but even like George R. R. Martin, he was he's listed as a producer on the Game of Thrones TV show. And I think they said that he wrote, he helped write one episode a season, but like right. he wasn't, he wasn't running that show, mm. you know, David, what's his face? And the, the other guy, was it David and David, David and Daniel, you know, those two guys that really messed up the last season of game of Thrones. Yeah. They were just like, Star oh, Wars we're in the star Wars now. <laughs> so let's just uh, wrap this up. And I, I wonder, I understand in, in one regard, because there are certainly some writers that would struggle where it's like, Hey, mm. this is a movie you can't, you know, but the flip side, I wonder if things would be better. Like we often like things the most that tend to be somebody's purest artistic vision. And so I always like, well, let's, let me rephrase that. Usually the things I like the most are things that are uh, where say the writer also directs or mm -hmm. The, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? Or like there's a team. Sometimes you're like two people. And it's like they write and because I feel Secret like will you, hunting. <laughs> usually I feel like those things maintain the sort of spirit, whereas a lot of these big budget things, when they're written by committee, it doesn't feel like a cohesive vision or you mm -hmm. watch it. You know, when you watch a TV show and like three episodes in or like the fourth or fifth episode, you're like, well, this feels like it was written by a completely different person. It doesn't really make sense. That's because it probably was like, they change writers, change directors. You know, they're like, Galen, uh, we're on a writer's room for the show. It's got eight episodes. You're going to write episodes one and seven. This is the sort of general, uh, mm -hmm. general story arc. Um, you know, Nick, you're going to write two and eight. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, so yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's the best way to mm. get uh creative vision but uh the last example i want to talk about mostly because i just finished it and i could rant and rave about the wheel of time problems that i had all day but was peacemaker the show on hbo max <laughs> and peacemaker was written by james gunn he didn't direct all of them but he he wrote mm -hmm. the entire eight episode arc and so this is one where i'm torn again because Peacemaker in the comics is like a very little known character. This, this iteration in particular Peacemaker, you know, he, he's like kind of a, a cheap ripoff of the Punisher almost uh, okay. in, in comparison. He's not particularly interesting. He's just kind of a nut that kills people that he deems her <laughs> criminals. And 
the TV show, that is not what the TV show is. But I thought, especially the last couple episodes of the TV show, I thought were really good. So I'm always torn and I'm, I'm usually willing to be a little more forgiving with certain things with comic book adaptations, because as we said, with most of these characters, there's been so much stuff over the course, so much material over the course of, of decades and decades that I think if you're staying true to the character and or you actually are telling a really good story, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. However, I think a lot of times when people complain about things in comic books, it's because they changed it and it's worse. And I would say that that actually is, is sort of the criticism of a lot of adaptations, right? It's like they changed it and it was worse because as we started this episode off talking about, if you've got a book that sold a hundred bajillion copies, then people clearly like the book and what's in the book. And so then when you're like, great, we have this thing. And now let's rip out the guts of this and mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll just use the title and the, the names of the characters and nothing else. Then when you're surprised that people get mad at you, it's just a very strange thing to me. And I, I haven't quite figured it out yet. Yeah, definitely. Like a couple examples of that, since we're on the DC topic is uh, they've done two suicide squads. Now the original and then a reboot because the original was kind of crappy. And uh, even before that, the, the Joker with was was it just a joker one or maybe it was from the suicide squad with jared leto when he oh, that was the joker the, that was the first suicide squad the, yeah that was, was the was suicide squad yeah okay it's it terrible almost unwatchable oh, dude, I, I kinda, me. but i love i love jared leto joker oh, but only no, because I, it made me laugh <laughs> i love jared leto i mean he's a great actor and i just loved him in a uh, fight club but he's not you the know that part of fight club <laughs> there's a scene in the there's a scene in the suicide squad where it's like a flashback and he's at a he's at a uh they're like at a club or something with harley <laughs> quinn and the guy's like i don't want no beef jay and he's like oh you don't want no beef and like the way that he says that every time makes me laugh <laughs> um <laughs> anybody that's uh I'm a bit of a voice actor. Anybody that that <laughs> wants to see something funny, if you look up uh, on YouTube, Honest Trailers, The Suicide Squad, their assessment is spot on and hilarious. Love Honest Trailers. Um, they got lots of fun stuff there. Will, Will Smith trying to do everything he can to make the movie legitimate, like, and really giving <laughs> a decent performance, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, uh. It's rough. But then the, the the remake that then spawned the Peacemaker series. See, and again, they just let James Gunn write and direct. Yeah, and that was fantastic. And it I, was really good. Yeah, and I it love was the also, Peacemaker series. It was also in the spirit of the original comic books. I, I love the original John Ostrander run of the Suicide Squad comic books, and that's how the movie felt. It was very... Mm -hmm. You know, these guys are totally expendable. Even I won't spoil I won't spoil the Suicide Squad movie with uh, Idris Elba. And but if you haven't checked it out and you and you like good, hilarious, dark and imagine if Guardians of the Galaxy was rated R is kind of the vibe <laughs> of Suicide Squad. And that felt very much like those comic books. So even though they didn't adapt a particular or they kind of mashed up a bunch of comic storylines to, to make that that movie. I thought it was I thought it was good. And um, yeah. 
yeah but i think i think comics are a little bit trickier than books for that reason now like i said i think the most important thing with comics are do you get the characters right and i'm i'm torn on whether or not i'm gonna go see this new batman movie because i've heard mixed things mm-hmm. and i'm worried that it's just gonna send me into a fit of rage in the movie theater it's three like hours frothing. long i know well that's okay i mean the dune movie is almost three hours long and i thought that was great um all right well i'll buy the popcorn (laughs) but so yeah i mean we i could talk about this forever and ever and maybe we will but those are some of i was just been thinking about this mostly because of a lot of this nonsense that's going on with the lord of the rings show which people is not going to be good like i don't they've already made it abundantly clear where their priorities are and it is not to telling good stories or just to make money yep it's to make money and to deliver a certain message and i don't think i have to say anything else about what that is uh <laughs> you know and it's a shame and i'm a little disappointed i mean i don't know the tolkien estate has notoriously been very stringent on who is allowed to purchase the rights to certain things so i'm a little curious as to like how Amazon got the rights to do anything. Cause apparently they only have the rights to do like certain things and certain appendices of books, which is why this show is, it's not really the Silmarillion cause they can't adapt that. And it's not the Lord of the Rings cause they can't like remake that. Um, but uh, I think there's a, it's a, it's stifling creativity. It, it, it leads to the sort of this idea that we have to constantly adapt or remake things and i mean they they remade the matrix and that was great the fourth one wasn't it i think we did a review on that and we gave it i mean i will say that the fourth the fourth matrix movie i still think was better than the fourth indiana jones movie if that puts it (laughs) in perspective for anybody oh that's right uh maybe we should review is it too late for us to review the fourth indiana jones movie or do like a, a live watch video where we just <laughs> watch it like something uh, like mystery science mystery Studio science 3000. yeah <laughs> um, oh, that would be good i mean let's be honest nobody's paying us so we can just do whatever we want anyway um <laughs> go ahead spielberg try and sue me i don't uh, have any money to begin with <laughs> satire is protected uh, for now yeah for now maybe maybe not much longer the way that this world is going um speaking of the way this world is going i'm gonna paint a picture for you now as we close out our podcast episode for the week you've uh you've just gotten in from a long day at the office you're worried about Mm. the state of the world oh no maybe you're worried about the rising gas prices or oh my going to the grocery store and inflation but you come in and you see your significant other, your wife, and she's wearing her Ranger shirt from Plus Five Charisma. And it's at that <laughs> moment, <laughs> it's at that moment that you know All that everything's going to be okay because <laughs> she's down to play. Plus Five Charisma. <laughs> spot on, spot on. I've been thinking about that the whole episode. Uh, seriously, go over and check out Plus Five Charisma. Check out uh charisma gaming on youtube like i said he tyler's just started making videos but we're we're hoping to do some more streaming videos of, of us all potentially playing elden Absolutely. ring and uh i mean the if you want to watch three grown <laughs> if you want to watch three grown men just 
sweaty palm going oh oh no no stop it <laughs> for the entirety of the game videos they get killed you know but apparently people like that kind of thing um, if we're gonna stream that yeah i'm gonna at least make sure i capture a frame of my wife bring me like hot pockets or something like that Absolutely. just stereotypical uh, stereotypical that'll be the that'll be the screenshot or the uh you know the thumbnail for the video when we put it up um yeah, head over, like I said at the beginning of the episode, check us out on Facebook, The Beggar's Cup, and uh, Nick Lang, an author, Facebook backslash Crowns of Hebron, and check out my books, Crowns of Hebron, a family-friendly comic book about Saul, David, and Jonathan, and Shadow of the Dreamer and Other Oddities, a not-family-friendly pulp adventure story about two guys that kill monsters and make a lot of inappropriate jokes. And... That's all. I think that's all. Well, uh, we got some stuff in the works, but I don't want to say anything until things are, you know, exciting times in the kingdom. I, I, yeah, I don't want to say anything until the the ink is dried on the uh, parchment. Death warrant. <laughs> oh yeah, well, that too. Um, <laughs> so, until next time, thanks for tuning in, and Thank we'll you. Uh, we'll see you later.